Thank you for listening to the First Baptist Church podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcottawa.org. Stories invite us in to other worlds and into our own. Stories invite us into the life of God and the way the heart of God works. Stories invite us into pain and joy, suffering and brokenness, family disputes and sibling rivalry and a father's broken heart and a father's love stories. Stories invite us to live and breathe with the words on the page, the words read, the words heard, stories. And we have just heard maybe the most familiar and most loved story ever told. What can be said about this story that's been heard and told and heard and told over and over again? This morning I pray that more than anything, we don't seek to so much extrapolate new truths as much as live into the story in a fresh and tangible, emotive, spirit-led way. That we take a walk with a broken-hearted father and an angry brother and a wild, rebellious brother. And we'll take a walk home, and we'll take a walk into a party, and we'll take a walk outside the party, and we'll just walk and breathe the life and the words of the story afresh. That we might find ourselves in relationship with this God. As I reflect on this story, oft called the story of the prodigal son. But is that really what the story's about? Isn't the story really about the father who runs? Isn't the story really about the loving father who can't help but love the lovesick father? Isn't it really the story of the loving father? And and even in the two parables, the little stories told before this, the lost sheep and the lost coin, and we, we focused on the lostness rather than the celebrations. I wonder why. I wonder what's our proclivity throughout the centuries of biblical interpretation or even the headings we put on these parables, why we focus so much on the lostness rather than the foundness, on the depravity rather than the expanse of divine love. We focus on on the outsideness rather than the inside welcome of God's never-ending embrace. I wonder why we have such a hard time focusing on the celebrations of the found coin and the found sheep and the found son and the pursuing father. I wonder. Maybe we haven't learned much about how grace and love from God is supposed to heal and touch our sense of shame and outsiderness. We're still trying to be good or to make up for where we messed up. Or maybe, maybe in the reading of this story, if we don't identify at least a part of our emotions with the older brother on the outside, we haven't quite heard it yet. 
Karl Barth is a well-known and somewhat famous theologian. He wrote, uh, well, he wrote prodigiously. I mean, Karl Barth wrote and wrote and wrote theology. Karl Barth wrote something called Church Dogmatics, thousands of pages. I can't say, Warren, have you ever read all of, I haven't either. Um, Church Dogmatics, thousands of pages. But someone asked Karl Barth to give a summation of his Church Dogmatics and the nature of God about which he wrote these thousands of pages. And his answer was, God is the one who loves. The one who loves. So we have this story, a story of a family, a family with children and children who maybe don't see their father or each other in the best of ways. A story that has some sibling robbery and some sibling judgmentalism. A story with a father whose heart is absolutely broken. Because the younger son comes and says, Dad, give me what is mine. You know what he's asking for? Dad, go ahead and you treat me as if you are dead and give me my inheritance. That's what he's asking. Give me what will be mine after you die, Dad. Treat me as if you're dead. I'm going to go ahead and you're going to be dead to me. Give me my inheritance, which for the younger son in that day would have been one-third, and the older one would have gotten more. And the father says, okay, I'll be dead to you. There will be life later, but I'll be dead to you. Here. And so the younger son, all happy with his inheritance goes off and it says he squanders in dissolute living loose living we don't know exactly but he was he went through it quickly oh our imaginations can join the elder brother and run wild maybe our own inclinations can join the elder brother and run wild And we come up with ways in which this young one, this young, rebellious, disrespectful son squanders dad's money. Well, we find that the the prodigal, the younger one, he finds himself in desperate circumstances as we often do when we run away from love and those who love us. Hmm? And he finds himself lonely and hungry and filled with shame and in a Jewish context you couldn't be filled with more shame than being feeding unclean pigs of course we know that in Judaism that pigs and all about them and all that you could eat from them is not kosher and not to be eaten not to be touched not to be around and he's feeding pigs You couldn't paint the picture of shame any more vividly, the picture of being far from the Father's house any more vividly than than Jesus telling the story of a young man feeding pigs while he himself is starving to death. And suddenly, in a word of compassion, I love when he came to himself, when he recognized who maybe he was and yet was too ashamed, when he came to himself, he said, maybe I'll go home. I've probably ruptured the relationship with dad far too much to ever really be prepared, 
but, but I bet if I go home, he'll at least let me be one of his hired hands and I'll, I'll have some food to eat and I won't have to feed these pigs and, and, and just maybe my life will be a little better than it is now. I'll just go home. In the parable, he's preparing his speech. Can you imagine? Like, just feel your way in the story. He's preparing his speech. He's picturing the look on his dad's face. He's picturing all kinds of things. He's wondering what dad's going to say. And he's ready to say, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired servants. In, in my mind, as I feel my way into the story all the way home, all the way home, on the walk home, the slow walk home. He has this conversation over and over and over and over again. The relationship that he most once repaired, he has no hope of being made whole. But he's ready to make a bargain so that he can have some food in his belly and get away from the shame of these pigs. So with that, can you imagine, imagine the next scene. The father that he has disrespected, the father that he has said, basically, dad, I'm going to treat you now as if you were dead. The father that, whose heart he has broken, the, the father that he has this prepared speech for. The story says when the son was a long way off, When he was a long way off, it makes me realize that the father must have spent some time every day gazing into the horizon. He must have spent some time every day, where's my boy? Where's my child? I wonder, I wonder if today will be the day that he comes home. I wonder if he's okay. I wonder if he's still alive. I wonder, I, I, I wonder what's happened to him. I haven't heard from him. I wonder. when he was still a long way off, the father saw him. He was looking out on the horizon every day. He was a lovesick father. Oh, how deep the father's love for us. He's a lovesick father, and he goes running, which if you've heard this told and, and taught, you know that, that a dignified father man, elder of the house, would not go running for all kinds of reasons. A, he may have been beyond the age of running. B, he probably was not wearing the clothes for running. You know, they didn't exactly wear, you know, jogger pants in those days. If you get what I'm saying, I mean, he was potentially disgracing himself. Even remember David when he was dancing before. I mean, like you just didn't do all that stuff. And he didn't care. He was a lovesick father. He saw his son on the horizon. But now imagine. Imagine. Because we are, aren't we? We're that child. That son or daughter. Imagine. There's somebody kicking up some dust back there. Who's that? There's somebody... That's an awkward gate. But they're running as fast as they can. That looks like dad. That looks like dad. Could that be cook? That, no, that can't be dad. He wouldn't be running. No, he wouldn't be running to me. I mean, like he's one, he's too old to run. And what's he doing? He's, did he see me? 
Was he watching for me all these years? He still has his prepared speech. Dad, I've done wrong. I've sinned against God and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father cuts him off before he can finish and say, make me like one of your hired hands because because being God's children, see what love the father has lavished upon us that we should be called his children. And that is what we are. That can't be undone. It can't be undone. Oh, that goes against our sensibilities and that of the elder brother, but it can't be undone. Adoptedness, being engrafted, being God's sons and God's daughters is something that God has decreed and decided, and it can't be undone. So a hired hand he could never be. So let the party begin. Let the party begin. We've, we've got... We've got stakes to have and music to play and we've got to we got to reclaim this son this child this son In a robe in a ring in sandals and and let's make him He's 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 mine You you can make all kinds of things and I've seen I've seen teaching about what the robe means and the ring means and the sandals mean That's all great. That's fine and good and run with that all you want, but all it's all about this this child is mine And I'm gonna I'm gonna cover over all that lies behind there Well there are days I wish the story ended there. Huh? And we could just say, oh, how deep the Father's love for us, and the story ends there. And we could say, let the music play, and let the party happen, and let's celebrate, and let's have a meal, and music, and dancing, and the kingdom of God is a party, as Tony Campolo says. And we as the church are the party throwers, and let's welcome all the prodigals home, because we once were prodigals too. And, and let's just get on with the music, and dancing, and the celebration, and see what God does with the party that we throw. And that's not the end of the story. There's another brother. He's outside. He hears the music and dancing. The other brother that ties us back to the introduction to the parable that some scribes and Pharisees, teachers of the law, didn't like that Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, that he spent time with all the wrong people, that he was a bit, he was a bit generous with his grace. He was a bit free and loose with those with whom he ate. He, he didn't really ask for people to straighten up before he welcomed them to pull up a chair. They, they had that, come on, surely there's got to be a, a time of reform, you know, a, a time of, of repentance, a time of getting things right, a time of making things straight. Uh, Jesus just welcomed people to the table, trusting that the power of his welcome and the beauty of his love would be all the transformation needed. So the older brother standing outside, and when he hears that his younger brother has come home, he is livid. He blows a gasket. He blows a gasket. All of his honor and fervor and moralism comes bursting out. And notice, 
Notice the loving, pursuing father is the father who pursues them both. He ran to the younger and he goes outside and pursues the older. The older brother says, Dad, I have been here all these years. I never once disobeyed you. Outwardly. I never once, I never once did the things that this younger brother, and notice how inventive he is. Did Jesus in the telling of the story, was there anything said about prostitutes until the older brother brings it up? Not one thing. Not one thing. You see how his imagination has run wild? How... how he wants to label and cast out and judge and even make things up or project. He spent his wild money. He spent, he spent your money in wild living with prostitutes. The father will have none of that. This is not a time for accusation. It's a time for party throwing. This is not a time to, to play 20 questions with the past. It's a time to let the welcome of the Father's love and the celebration of the Father's party to, to wash away all that lies behind and to renew and restore and reform all that lies within. The Father trusts that His loving party throwing will do more than we can ever imagine to renew and restore His beloved Son. So He says to the older brother, who has now denied familiar relationship. He said, this son of yours. Did you catch that? He says that he's denied familial relationship, this son of yours, and the father will have none of that. He says, this brother of yours was lost and is found, was dead and is alive again. There's some real keys for us there. We any time that we create an us and them and we want to say to God those people who are not a part of us not part of our family then we stand in danger of being on the outside of the party that God is throwing the grace-filled loving party to welcome everyone home I know we want to draw lines and we want to make distinctions and we want to figure things out and we're scared to death that that, oh, if we hand out love and grace that freely people act any old way. Well, I believe that once we understand the love and grace that God gives, we'll never act any old way. We'll be moving towards God's way because we can't help it. I can't imagine that that prodigal that who came home and was embraced by the father, once feeling that, experiencing the party that he lived the same as he did before, man, he was humbled, he was repentant, he was all kinds of things, surely. But the older brother, we're left with the story dangling. Did he come into the party? Did the scribes and Pharisees come into the party? Has the church throughout millennia come into the party? Is the church today coming into the party? I mean, quite frankly, church, as we are standing here today, we, we love to emotively feel ourselves as a prodigal. I recommend that. Feel yourselves as a prodigal because that'll be the only anecdote for being the elder, elder sibling standing outside. But 
we must be honest with ourselves and the church in the 21st century is all too often the elder sibling standing outside. Deciding who should and should not be inside. I mentioned earlier that Karl Barth, after writing thousands of pages of church theology, of Christian theology about the nature of God, said God is the one who loves. And as I close this morning, I just want to retell the story of the prodigal, but only maybe in a different setting, a more modern setting. This version I'm going to adapt from Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace. He tells the story this way. There was a young girl in Traverse City, Michigan, living in Traverse City among cherry, a cherry orchard and the trees and all of the beauty of nature of that cherry orchard. And this young girl, well, she had a contentious relationship with her father and her parents. She was raised in the beauty of, of that home and of that area, but she was also under a pretty strict hand and she resented the strictness with which she was raised. She, she struggled every time that, that they challenged her, the length of her skirts or the way she did her hair or the makeup she wanted to wear. And, and, and finally, when she'd heard one too many comments, she seethed inside and says to her father, I hate you, and retreats to her room and begins to act out a plan that she'd thought many times before. You see, she had been from Traverse City, Michigan to Detroit, and they'd gone to a baseball game, and and she had heard of all the things in the city, and she thought, I'm going to run away. I've had enough of this. I've had enough of my life being squelched and being judged under their thumb. So she plans to run away, and she boards a bus from Traverse City to Detroit. She figures they'll go looking somewhere else. They'll never imagine that she'd go to Detroit. I mean, who goes to Detroit? Hollywood maybe, Florida maybe, but not Detroit. So she gets off the bus in downtown Detroit as a teenager. And it's not long before a man comes by in the biggest car she's ever seen and invites her to get in. She gets in the car, and he's very nice to her, and, and lo and behold, gives her some pills that makes her feel better than she's felt ever before. And he keeps giving her those and keeps giving her those. And then next thing you know, he's, well, he's taking advantage of the fact that he's giving her those pills and teaching her things that men like. And now she's so far removed from home and so far removed from herself and beginning to be so filled with shame that, and then so attached to the pills that she begins to do, begins to do anything that's asked of her. Well, she was young, so she was a premium, if you hear the implication. He put her up in a penthouse, and all seemed to be going well to her as long as she could forget about home. As long as she had enough of those pills to forget about home, as long as she had enough pills to forget about what she was doing. But then after a while, the sickness set in and the hollowness in her eyes and the cough began to get worse. And in those days, you couldn't be too careful. And just as quickly as the man in the large car had picked her up when she got off the bus in Detroit, he discarded her from the penthouse into the streets. And now she found herself cold and shivering and and 
doing things she'd been taught to support her habit and she had no other money left. She sat, she was, was shivering one night, sleeping outside above a grate, covered up in newspapers. Well, if a young woman in downtown Detroit can actually sleep. When finally an image comes to her mind, an image of cherry trees in full bloom on the farm at home. And suddenly she was no longer a, a teenager become a young woman of the world. She was a little girl who just wanted her daddy. And laying there, she hatched another plan and she said, I, I was so wrong. Why did I ever leave? So she picks up the phone and she calls. No answer. Just the answering machine. Dates the book. She picks up the phone again and she calls again, no answer. And finally, the third time, she picks up the phone and with a quivering, uncertain voice, she says, Dad, Mom, it's me. Um, I'm getting on a bus and, and I'm coming home and I'll, I'll be home tomorrow night. And, uh, well, I'll be at the bus station and, and, well, if nobody's there, I'll just stay on the bus until I get to Canada. And she rehearses what she's going to say. Dad, would, can you forgive me? I was so wrong. Dad, forgive me. She gets on the bus and then she doubts her plan. She thinks, what have I done? I should have at least waited until somebody answered the phone. What if they're away? What if they're out of town? What if they're on vacation? She's certain that she's messed up again. And then the bus is getting closer and snow starting to fall and the bus driver says 15 more minutes and there she is 15 more minutes to decide her life. And 15 minutes later the air brakes hiss and the bus stops and she stumbles off the bus unsure of anything that's going to be before her and nothing prepared her for the sight that she sees next. There's a computer generated banner stretched across the bus station saying welcome home. And there's 40 family members, cousins and brother and sister and uncles and great uncles and aunts and great aunts. And there's 40 family members, grandmother, great grandmother. And they're all there screaming, welcome home. And then, and then through it all comes dad. She says, dad, I'm so sorry. Can you ever, he says, hush, we got a party. We got a dinner to have. Come on home. Welcome home. That is the good news. That is the good news. That is the God who loves. And we have an opportunity to decide where we stand in the midst of the story of the God who loves. There are days we stand as the one who's like, Dad, I'm so sorry. God, I'm so sorry. Mom, I'm so sorry. Father God, Mother God, I'm so sorry. There are days that we are so in need of the embrace of God that welcomes us home. And there are days that we are in need of the convicting chastisement of the Father who pursues the outside and says, this brother of yours, this sibling of yours was dead and is alive. Come on and celebrate the party. 
I believe that the church comes alive if we come from the outside to the inside of the party. It says it doesn't matter, we'll celebrate. Like, what's so amazing about grace is it welcomes home. What's so amazing about grace is it makes the ground level for all of us humans. Because God will have none of us separating, oh, this child of yours. He says, no, this sibling of yours. So, what do you do with a God who loves like that? Well, I suggest we attend and throw lots of parties. That's what we do with a God who loves like that. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Oh, eternal and loving God, who loves beyond our wildest ability to comprehend. Welcome. May we feel the embrace of your welcoming us home so much so that we can't help but be a part of the welcome party. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to the First Baptist Church podcast. We invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 930 in Ottawa, Kansas. You can find more information about our church at www.fbcottawa.org.